0: I'm just going to wrap up our <clears throat> our series uh, on the body. And I just want to bring to your attention that uh, Wednesday night at 5.30 and at 6 a.m., there's two prayer meetings you can choose. We do have Pursue God prayer. For those who, who choose to fast, uh, we can say with us, I'll be hypocritical. Um, going on vacation Monday. I'll be at the prayer meeting on Wednesday, but I won't be fasting. I'll be partying up at my cabin before I get here for the prayer meeting. Sorry about that. But it is, you don't have to fast, but join us in prayer. And uh, let's have a great prayer meeting and uh, let's agree on things that, uh, that we need God to do. You know, Pete asked me, should we have pursue God prayer this month? I'm always uncomfortable with not praying. Because I find that prayer is the language of dependence. And and as soon as we are self-sufficient, I've just watched God over and over and over again lift His grace off of my life and the grace off the church. And so I want us just to be dependent people. You get out and join us, great. Join us in prayer. There will be a list going out on things to pray for if you can't get here to pray with us. So it's at 6 a.m. and at 5.30. We always respect uh, the time on the schedule of that prayer meeting. Those want to do a little Bible study. I'm doing the Gospel of Mark, 7 o'clock on Wednesday nights, and just a little commercial there. All right, let's talk about... had to get that in. It's my class. All right, the body. The body. We are finishing our series today on the body. Bill Scheidler has done a great job laying a real theological foundation. Could you thank uh, Brother Bill on that? and appreciate so much for his teaching. Yep. A number of years ago, I was involved in an evangelism program called the Glad Tidings School of Evangelism. Some of you old B-tiers, when people who came out of Gospel Outreach would remember that curriculum. Francis Anfuso, uh, Gary Beasley, and then Mark Estes, who now pastors Manahouse, took over that particular ministry. And uh, you really learned a lot of skills on doing one-on-one evangelism in, in many different scenarios. And I actually taught the course and did it at Portland Bible College. And one of the, one of the analogies that they used in that course was, was a baseball diamond or a baseball analogy. You know, um, in baseball, if you're into baseball that you can have all the hits in the world you get guys are getting on base and they're getting walked or they're hitting doubles and triples but if they don't get around to home base the, and they don't score runs the team loses they don't win the game so in baseball it's not always how many hits you got it's how many it's how many runners you got around the base path to get to home plate and the same is true when it comes to our mission as a church it's not good enough that someone prayed to receive Jesus it's not even good enough that we had so many baptisms this year. It's not, it's not good. It's not good enough because those are not home runs. We're not going to win the game just by that. We're not going to win until the person like Ben and Deidre, who commit their life to Christ and want to become a disciple of Jesus, finds their ministry in the body of Christ. And until that takes place, we don't have a win. We have not, we're not going to win the game. We're not going to fulfill the mission of the church. It's not good enough that I got baptized. It's not good enough I prayed to receive Christ. It's not even good enough that I got baptized in the Holy Spirit as we celebrate Pentecost Sunday. It's not good enough that I went to a Bible study. You're going to have to find your place in the body of Christ. God touched you, saved you, called you, went after you for a purpose. And so you're going to have to. If you don't fulfill that ministry and start functioning in that, the church hasn't won. You know, in Galatians 4.19, Paul said these words. He had a pastoral burden. He said, my children... I am, again, undergoing birth pains until Christ is formed in you. That sounds rather graphic. In other words, I'm in labor. I'm having labor pains until you become like Jesus. And I want to make a, a real strong statement here. You're gonna, it's a real direct sermon today. I don't have time to cush, cushion it all up make it feel nice. If you want to become like Jesus... And uh, then you're going to have to fulfill your ministry in Christ. You cannot become like Jesus and ignore what God wants to do through you in ministry. You cannot. You can say, I don't want to be like Jesus, but I don't care about ministry. That's an oxymoron. Jesus came self-giving. Jesus came to bring healing, to preach the gospel, to lay his life down for us, to feed the poor, to to bring justice. Jesus came and and he did these things and he gave his life for us on the cross. That was his ministry. To us. Okay, if I want to be like him, i got to do the same for others. He did it with his anointing, as, as Bill taught us. He took a section of that work of the Spirit in his life, and he gave me something. He gave Pete something. He gave Tamar something. He gave Sherry over there something. He, he gave each one of us a part of his grace to fulfill that ministry. And if I'm going to be like Jesus, I can't ignore my ministry. That's not an option. You can sing it, but if you're ignoring your ministry... You're not doing it. So Paul said, listen, I, I, I travail. I'm in birth pains until Christ is formed in you. And so Jesus is going to begin to be formed in you when you start discovering what he wants to do in and through you to minister to others. That's when you're going to start coming into a place called maturity, become like Jesus. You know, we all need to be in pursuit of something, and that is finding my place in the family. You know, one of my favorite songs uh, is by Hillsong, I Am Who You Say, Say I Am. You guys like that song? Yeah. I want to just read you a few lyrics on that song. This is why this song touches me so deeply. Is that the, the, the truth of the song says this. Who am I that the highest king would welcome me? I was lost, but he brought me in. Come on. The highest king has brought me in. Say to the person next to you, he brought you in. Brought you in. Yeah. Listen to this verse. Free at last. He has ransomed me. His grace runs deep. I was a slave to sin. Jesus died for me. Say to the person next to you, grace runs deep in you. Go on, grace runs deep in you. There's, there's a work of God in your life. And it goes on to say, In my Father's house, there's a place for me. I am a child of God. Just say to the person, the last thing I'm going to ask you to do, there's a place for you. Come on, I want to get you interacting here. It's a place. It's not. You're just not going to sit around. There's a place for you. There's something that God wants to do in you and what he wants to do through you. Now, the problem sometimes is that for some, this becomes a frustrating process of how I find this thing called my place in the family. Sometimes it's our negative thoughts. I call it the dwarf syndrome. You know, I just feel like I'm kind of a, I'm kind of a midget compared to everybody else. They're all giants. I remember when I played college football, I came on the football field, was, played Portland State, and I uh, came in in the second quarter of my senior year of this particular game playing nose guard. I, at that time, I was you know, five foot nine if you stretched me on a rack, and I was probably dripping wet about 188 pounds. I wasn't too big. I just came out of mass de- depression, and, and I was, God was starting to do a new work in my life, but I was playing football. I got out there. The line comes up. The center says to the guard, hey, they got a midget. They got a midget on their team. And you know what I did, I kicked that guy's, all right, here we go on. Sometimes it's frustration with leadership. And you know what? Leaders, we have to always do a better job of recognizing, fanning, and, and moving those things. Sometimes God uses our limitations just to deal with you and the timing of God. How I many people know that God ultimately is in control of your giftings and your ministry? Yeah. But, but leadership sometimes has got to get their, their acting gear, and we're going to keep committing to doing a better job here at City Harvest Church. And then sometimes we have misconceptions of how we discover it. And I just want to bring this in. That uh, And this third factor is what I want to focus on. There are basically five misconceptions I just want to address real quick going that uh, how we are, are to discover this thing called the call of God. So I'm going to deal with a couple of misconceptions. Calling misconceptions. The problem is we think it's something very dramatic. It's something very subjective. It's something that... You know, that it's something you write a book about. The people are in awe of what this supernatural thing took place. So my misconception, number one, is a call is a big event. Maybe you had this heavy encounter with Jesus. I was a young man, God's mildly using today. I remember his describing to me how he knew he was called by God, and God had him in a spirit encounter. and He, and he says, I was just intense, and I, I called my wife, and I, I said, I, If I don't say yes to God, I think I'm going to die. And, you know, that, that's pretty dramatic. How many people had that happen to you? Okay, good, Ben. God bless you. It didn't happen to me, it didn't happen to me. Because I think it's a big man or it's a prophetic word. Now, I have to be truthful. I got one of those prophetic directive words that actually caused me to switch my whole career. I mean, it was one of those things where Sue and I sold everything to run after it. But I had to have that because of the sacrifice of transition we had to make to fulfill the call. And so God had to direct us that way. But it doesn't always come that way of encounter, I think, if I don't say yes, I'm going to die, or a prophetic word, or an audible voice, or a dream, or a vision, or, you know, an angel catapults you out of bed at night. Which happened in the 1950s to one of the healing evangelists. angel came in and pulled the guy right out of bed, and then his wife woke up, got scared, went under the covers. Real angel, not a vision, just real physical angel in the room. I don't believe it. Well, it's too bad, it happened. Another misconception is this, a misconception that a a call is a task. I'm called to plant a church. I'm I'm called to start a 501c3 ministry. I'm I'm called to form a foundation. I'm 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 called to start a franchise. I'm called to end poverty. I want to say something, and please listen to me. I, I believe that we should attempt great things for God, but I'm going to give you a definition of ministry here. Ministry is more who I am than the task I do. And so this great misconception, we miss it. That ministry is about who I am, not what I do. Paul said this in Galatians 1.15. Just listen to it with your heart and your spirit here. Paul said, but when he who had set me apart before I was born, and who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me, in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. He was pleased to reveal his son to me that I might present him to the Gentiles. What your ministry is, is what Jesus has revealed to you and how he wants to use your personality and the way he made you and your giftings to share with others what he has revealed to you. That's ministry. That's your call. So we think sometimes it's a task. When I go to heaven, there's going to be a lot of things that I have done. They're not they don't seem always that they're all connected, but they're all a part of this thing of what Jesus has revealed to me that I have shared with others, and the same is true for you. The third concept misconception I should say is this is a call means you start doing things now. Okay? So I mean, I got to start doing things now. I'm ready to go after these things. And so I need to do something. I got to build something. I got to start something. I got to volunteer for something. I got to achieve something. Maybe God wants you to slow down. Maybe God wants to put you on hold. Maybe God wants you to be inactive for a while. Maybe God wants to do something in you before God does something through you. Yeah, it's good. Okay, so we think it's, oh, well, I got to do things now. Maybe you're going to be in a slow season. That doesn't mean. You don't have what God wants to do through you. It just means you're in a season. You want to do this thing in the power of God, amen? Amen. Yeah, when Jesus was raised from the dead, he was raised by the, the what of God, the power of God. If I want to be lifted by the power of God, promoted by the power of God, sometimes I got to go dead. We don't like dead seasons. We don't like tomb seasons. We don't like coffin seasons. We sure like the resurrection seasons. You don't find a lot of best-selling books, How I Laid in the Tomb. <laughs> it's not about starting things. I remember I wanted to go to Bible college. Sue and I sold everything to go to Bible college. We Everything. Went to Bible college and spent my first year, we spent all our money, and man, Sue was counting how many paper clips she could buy. I mean, we were on a tight budget, and we were just going for it. And then Nine months, ten months later, we were flat broke and I couldn't go to Bible college anymore. And the but the church hired me to run their high school and and you know there I was chasing kids down, giving them demerits, and your church tie is not tied. And you know, you you flunked your English test, what's going on? And I remember watching the Portland Bible College students going down from their classes and down to the chapel, and I remember watching them with, with bitterness and jealousy and you punks. You don't have to raise a family and feed people and you get to study the Bible. Because I had misconceived what the call of God was all about. I thought I had to start doing something. To, if I'm going to preach, I've got I to gotta go four years, I've got to do this and I've got to do that. And God had a different route for me on yeah. how I was going to land this thing. Mis- misconception number four is a call involves one destination. I mean, it says I'm just that one thing. I'm going to that one destination. You know, we, we're so, got, we got map apps now, and Siri directs us, and you go, you know, one mile, you turn south, you, you go 3.2 miles, you, you turn right, you know, and, and 400 feet, you know, the address is on your right. And what happens with that? We think God directs us like that—that there's just one decision, that'll one correct decision that'll lead us to the right place to have the one correct decision. I want to show you something that I actually bought today. This is for all my millennials. This is—this is called a map. They yeah, I mean, haven't probably seen one in a while. A map. Sue and I are gonna be celebrating the next five, six days. Life. I'm actually get back here Wednesday night to preach. We're going back up to the cabin. We're gonna we're gonna be doing some cabin time. And uh hiking and kayaking, doing all sorts of stuff. You know, Siri would tell me there's probably two routes, maybe we can go up through Amboy and You know, go up through Cougar, go that way, or you go to I-5 to Woodland and hit on the 503 Spur. But the map here says I can go a lot of directions. I can go all the way up to Seattle and come back down. (laughs) Snoqualmie Pass. I could go all the way to Yakima and then cut a U-turn back. It it gives me a hundred options. Now, here's what happens. Christians are so uptight that they're going to make a wrong decision. Like, is this the will of God? Is this not the will of God? If I miss it, God's going to be mad at me. Instead of just trusting a good God can land you. Yeah. Yeah. A good God will just land you. And, and maybe you're trying to get to my cabin and you end up in Seattle for a while. That's, that's even part of the plan. A map, folks. A map. It requires some general knowledge of Geography. North is at the top. South is at the bottom. <laughs> East is to your right if you're looking at it. West is to your left. Nice. That's easy. Geography. God guides us by a map, not by Syria. Yeah. And it's a map that he has chosen. I can show you many ways in the Bible that he's done that, where he led them another way. Yeah. And sometimes he leads you another way. It's not down one destination, as Dick Iverson used to tell me, Bob, you've got to find the footsteps of Jesus. Where are you going to need to find the footsteps of Jesus and what God's called you? Misconception number five, a call is discovered through just one source. It's going to come to me by a prophet. It's going to come to me by an angel. It's going to come to me by the voice of God. It's going to come to me by deep some deep, overwhelming impression. There could be a lot of other reasons, other means by which God... Can call you. I'm going to rattle them off and then we're going to get out of here and have some good food. Seven practical ways God can reveal his call on you. One, you're drawn to a need. That's what happened with Moses. Moses saw a need. The Bible says in, in Exodus 2.11 when Moses had grown up, he, he went out to his people and, uh, and observed their hard labor. That's when he took in his own hands to kill an Egyptian. Okay, he did it in his own hand, but he saw a need. In heaven, God says, you know, the boy's got potential. He's hearing me, what I want him to do. Come on, what, what need has drawn you? Here's another practical thing, not as dramatic, and that is this, the demonstration of your gifting. You know what that? You know what Pharaoh said to Joseph? Come on, you're already just, it's evident. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have heard about you that you can interpret dreams. So Joseph already had this thing in his gifting that everybody, started, even in Egypt, was recognizing. Okay, What did people recognize? Dick Iverson used to say this, how do you know if a guy's a carpenter? He can build a house. This is real rocket science, folks. <laughs> you go build a house and it's slanted and the roofing material's all over the place and there's holes in the ceiling and it's leaning because there's no foundation, we'd probably sit down with you and say, you know what? You're probably not a carpenter. You're probably not a general contractor. It's probably not in your gifting. Jim Avery helps me with my lawnmowers. And one thing he tells me all the time is that I'm not mechanical. (laughs) It's okay. I just call him up once a year to fix them. Personal suffering. I don't like that one. I like the prophet, the angel. Job had personal suffering, but God worked a message in Job. You know, at the end of Job's restoration, you know, the one thing he did, he interceded for his friends who mocked him so that they could be restored. God worked something in Job so he could even pray for those who hurt him. Suffering does something to you. I don't like it. You don't have to go look for it. Life will bring it to you. But when life brings it to you, there's a work of God in your heart and your life that's preparing you for the call. Another source that we, that we don't see as practical as this is personal success. What? personal success. God speaks to us through our successes. One thing, one thing that David recognized when he killed Goliath is, hey, I got a little gift here. <laughs> he went after the giant with the king's anointing. The king didn't. The shepherd boy did. Why? Because the shepherd boy was a king in the making. So, you know, hey, I think you ought to have Pete be your successor. He's failed here. He's failed here. Dropped the ball in this department. Dropped the ball here. You know what? I think he's got the gift. No. You know why I chose Pete? For many reasons. But one, he, he touched every part of our church and built it. His successes lead to his future. we got to look at these practical things. Holy discontent. In other words, you can't stand it anymore. You see something and I just can't stand it anymore. That's what happened to Nehemiah. Nehemiah started hearing about the walls of Jerusalem. The walls of Jerusalem lie breached and its gates have been burned down. And you know what he did? He started being broken. He went to fasting and prayer. Say, God, I got to do something. The next thing he knows, he's got the king's endorsement and he goes with a company of people and he starts rebuilding the very thing he's burdened for. Sometimes you just see something and, you know, like you're like, Popeye. You know, like, you know, you know I've had enough and I can't stand no more. Okay, I got to do something. So that's not very, like, like, spiritual. That's absolutely spiritual. What I'm trying to say is this. How do I know what God wants me to do? What ticks you off? Do something about it. Yeah, you know, I can't, you know, these, these schools these days and all these kids. Well, go volunteer. What? Be a part of the solution? Actually have to interact with them? Yes. And in circumstances, you just find yourself in the right place, and you're the right person, at the right time. That was Esther's calling. You know, Esther didn't grow up. You know, one day I'm going to save my people. No, she didn't grow up that way. <laughs> Occasionally saw herself in a mirror and said, "You know what? I think I got some goods." <laughs> it's got a part of the king's harem. Her uncle Mordecai had some favor. A guy named Haman was going to destroy and destroy the people of God. Mordecai says, Esther, you've come to the kingdom for such a time as this. You're the right woman at the right place at the right time. That's how she found the call of God. And last, your inheritance. You know, we're such an individualistic society that we, that in our culture, that we do not connect the call of God with the people he's connected us with. And sometimes there's actually a family inheritance when it comes to ministry. And you say, oh, that's nepotism. Don't go too fast with that. Because in the Bible, it is really a huge truth. There are family anointings. It could be natural. It could be spiritual. It was true for a guy named Isaac. What -hmm. God did with Abraham had a lot to do with what God was going to do with Isaac. And what God did with Isaac had a lot to do with what God was going to do with a guy named Jacob. It was true for Timothy. Paul said... He, he's, he's labored with me like a son in the faith. Dick Iverson was my spiritual father. I asked God one night in the backyard of a house that Sue and I were house-sitting for eight months So I was going to Bible college. I was lonely. I was hurting. I had no one to encourage me in my life. And I cried out to God. I said, God, I, I wish Dick Iverson would be my spiritual dad because I really need a dad right now. I'm all alone. Just about a month later, I, I asked Pastor Iverson if I could talk with him for a second. And I said, Pastor Iverson, my former church thinks I, I'm against the will of God being here going to Bible college. I've kind of ran away from the will of God. And I just need your counsel. He said, sit down. Because I went to your pastor. A pastor who, by the way, used to tell me I wasn't called to preach. And I made him confess that you're going to be a pastor. I also asked him to give you and Sue over to us because we could train you better. And you're not ready to do anything. You got a lot of training you need. But the gift of God is on you. I just walked away at 28 years old. No one's ever stood up for me. And this guy, that I prayed a month before, would he be my dad, went to bat for me. And I was bonded to him the rest of my life. And so his burden became my burden. Same is true with Bill Scheidler and others. Our inheritance determined our call. His friends became my friends. His love for the church became our love for the church. His cause became our cause. His anointing became our anointing. So sometimes it comes by just the people you are connected with. So it doesn't always come with audible voices. It doesn't always come with angels pulling you out of bed. It doesn't always come through series just like this, one destination. It doesn't come, you know, because you've got to do a bunch of things now. Come on, God knows how to get you to where he's going to get you. Your job is, yes, to open your Bible and to pray and to seek him and do daily what he does. But there's a lot of practical things here that will be the keys for you to find your calling your ministry fulfillment.